0: And welcome to Talking Foosball Extra, the Ausstiegs Edition. And this time, we actually do have a bit of a special episode for you lined up because we are looking at the Regionalliga West, one of the best tiers that German football has to offer. My name is Nick Miltag, and joining me today is uh, ground-hopping aficionado, Mike Krukemeier. Hi, Nick. How are you? Good, good. And alongside with him, I've got the one and only, the lady who likes to prepare... Jasmine Barber.
1: Hello, Nick. How are you doing?
0: Good, good. And unprepared. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we'll be looking at, you know, eight teams over the course of this episode. Maybe we'll have to split it up if, uh, into two episodes if we talk a little bit too long for about the f- first four teams. Um, so all of that is to come after a short break. Right, here we go, the Regionalliga West. Exciting times. Finally, we get to talk about one of Germany's most exciting divisions. It's a division where football is played from the heart and not for money. Well, I'm kidding, of course, it's uh, played for money, but it's a division that includes a lot of historic and sites that are well worth a visit. So, uh, Mike, why don't you start us off with uh, the first site from that division that you've picked? Yeah. I do. And
2: it's, uh, well, we, we start at the bottom of the table because it's KFC Erdingen. The club has a huge history, but it has always been a club like Bayer 04 Leverkusen. And it was called Bayer 05 Erdingen. So you realized 04 for Leverkusen and 05 for Erdingen. So they were founded in the same period, at least. And both of them belonged to the Bayer company. Maybe uh, we
0: should explain the word VAXelf rather quickly. What, what is a VAXelf? Yeah,
2: it's a company club. So it's, it was owned by a company and it was at that time, at least, mainly meant to offer sport for the employees of that company. And so they were interested in the health of their employees, I think. Oerdingen is a district of Krefeld. This is a rather small city near Düsseldorf. Uh, I think something around 16 or 17,000 people living there. And it was founded in 1905 as a football club. But through the years, it became a big sport club in general, especially known for its athletic department. And among others, you might remember a very famous German decathlon athlete, which is Jürgen Hingsen. So he also started for Oettingen. And you might remember in the 80s, he was battling with uh, Daley Thompson from the UK if you follow Decathlon at all, so I don't know that. Or
0: lived in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs>
2: or lived in the 80s, yeah. Uh, sorry, Jasmine. Um, <laughs> and me too. <laughs> ah, well, you, then you look older than you are, so no, sorry. Yes, <laughs> thank <definitely.
0: laughs>
2: <laughs> you. The football club was always the little brother of Bayer Leverkusen, and they got promoted to the Bundesliga in 79, 81, 83, uh, but they went down again each single time immediately. And first attempts Uh, but the third one that one in 83 it should last and it led to their most successful decade and this is the reason why we're talking about them at all today. So in that period, they reached the semi-final, uh, no, sorry, before that, they reached the semi-final of the DFB Pokal in 77 as a club from the second Bundesliga, and in 85, uh, so two years in the first league by then, they won the cup, and this was the first ever final in the Olympic Stadium in Berlin, until then the final was hosted in different cities every single year. And they beat Bayern 2-1, coached by Karl-Heinz Feldkamp, which some of you might also know from his uh, time in Kaiserslautern. And they had a team of players like Matthias Herget or the Funkel brothers. And uh, it was really fun to watch them at that time. And there was one particular game which made them famous and which might have established their, well, let's say, myth. Uh, and this took place in the year after the cup win, and it was only possible because of because of that cup win, because it was the, placed in the European Cup Winners' Cup, which also does not exist anymore. And they faced Dynamo Dresden in the quarterfinals. So this was, as I said, 1985. So before Germany was united again. And in that on that day, the wonder of the Grotenburg. Uh, has been founded and this has its own Wikipedia article. So, the Grotenburg is the stadium of KFC Erding. They lost the first game away in Dresden by 2-0. And at that time, not every single football game was broadcasted live, so there were huge discussions uh, on the decision of the ZDF, so the second German TV uh, channel, to show the game live in television, because at the same time Bayern played Anderlecht in the European Champions Cup. At halftime in the second leg, Dresden led 3-1. The responsible person at the broadcaster already was afraid to be fired. But at the end of the day, he was the hero because 3-1 down, first game 2-0 to Dresden. Keeping in mind the away goal rule, Erdingen needed to win by three goals. So from 3-1 down, they would need to change it to 6-3 at least. No one believed in that, of course. I do remember I was nine years old at that time. I watched that game in TV. It was hilarious. So they started to score. Wolfgang Funkel by penalty in the 58, 3-3 with an own goal from Ralf Minge, who still is in Dresden at this time, in the 63rd, 4-3 by Wolfgang Schäfer in the 65th. And so they scored three times in just seven minutes, but they needed two additional goals and they did that in just 1 minute in 78 and 79 <laughs> so the second one again by penalty and in 86 wolfgang schäfer scored the 7-3 it was clearly a magic night and the game was voted as greatest game of all time by the elf freunde magazine Unfortunately, they lost the semi-final against Atletico Madrid.
0: (laughs) You know, I've I've watched the match and and, uh, it's clearly a crazy match um, where Dinamo just entirely lost the plot in the second half, which uh, doesn't happen all that often. But you mentioned the fact that Germany wasn't reunited at this point. So we're five years away from that actually going to happen at that point. How big a deal were these matches between East and West German teams at that point? Well, I was
2: nine years old. I can't really remember. Um, I think it was special, but it might be even more. It, it, it might have been even more special to the clubs in Eastern Germany. So, from from a Western Germany perspective, yeah. Well, you were the big Western nation, and you probably felt superior to them. So, I think uh, for the the clubs from Western Germany, it was just. Uh, business as usual. They needed to win usually, of course, depending on the situation and may, maybe not necessarily for KFC and against Dresden at that time. But I think it was more important to, to the Eastern Germany clubs. And as you are a Werder Bremen supporter and I was a Bremen supporter at that time too, we do remember the game where Werder lost against Dresden away 3-0 and then they turned the game around at home with a 5-0 win. No, we
0: don't remember that
2: game. It was a game against BFC Dynamo. <laughs> ah, it was BFC Dynamo, sorry. Yeah, but it was similar. Yeah, of course. Uh, and and yeah, it, it, I think it was devastating for Dresden at that time. And they, they will have never
0: thought that this could happen. And especially, of course, <laughs> not at halftime. Right. So brilliant past. You know, a lot to take in in terms of all the glory that this team has achieved but at one point it went downhill for them didn't it
2: yeah a few years later they went into second league in 1991 they came back twice they managed to stay in the league in 1995 but in that year the buyer company decided to step out of uh, one of their two professional football clubs, uh, and this, of course, was Erdingen, and they wanted to focus on Leverkusen, which was the beginning of the end. So Bayern 05 Erdingen still exists as a club on amateur level. KFC Erdingen was founded in 1995 went down in 1996 and after some financial issues they were even relegated in 1999 to third league and in 2005 they lost their license for that and went down to the Oberliga which was the fourth league by then. And uh, well, some years later, they even ended up in League six, the, the Niederrhein Liga. So uh, it was at that time where Lakis Kudialos was the chairman and he signed again Werder Bremen comes into topic, the Werder Bremen striker Ailton who was 36. Uh, the plan was to go back to third league within five years and of course they failed. And in 2016 Lekes resigned and Mikhail Ponomarev stepped in. and on the stage so we could fill whole episodes just with him I think but to keep a long story short 2019 they were back in business and in League 3 but they needed to play their first season in Duisburg instead of the Grotenburg Kampfbahn the following year they played in Düsseldorf they were not able to pay the rent and every single year Ponomarev handled the club like an own Hollywood production so coaches were hired and fired and probably the weirdest idea was to sign Stefan Effenberg as a manager. And in uh, December 2020, Ponomarev announced to step out in Oerdingen. They went into bankruptcy proceedings and down into Regionalliga West, which is where they are at the moment. But they are at the bottom of the table, trailing 10 points behind the place, which would secure the league for another year. And yeah, there were discussions that they now should do get a penalty of nine points again. This was waived for whatever reasons uh, some weeks ago, but uh, it, it wouldn't help them. So they will go down to Niederrhein Liga again this summer.
0: Right. And uh, well, it's a bit of a roller coaster ride right, this. And uh, if, if you are an in fan, you must have had quite a life. Uh, I mean, from the first division with a cut win to the sixth tier, everything has been there since the 80s. I mean, the, the history of, of their greatest moments is so recent that a lot of people will remember it. And now they're once again faced with the possibility of going down to the fifth tier. And then what? I mean, who's going to step in and, uh, you know, steady the ship at Erdingen? I mean, they've really been unlucky with uh, a lot of shady investors over the last few years. And uh, Ponomarev, he really was the type of investor who just invested into coaches, players, and he didn't really... You know, he didn't really do the legwork. He didn't in- invest into infrastructure or the youth system. And, you know, when you sign expensive players from the Bundesliga, like Asani Leukemia, who, uh, via a detour to China, I think, arrived from Werder Bremen, you are going to get what you pay for. And that is a, a sort of a badly put-together third-tier side that is uh, rather costly and, in the end, too costly for Ponorarov. And nowhere near promotion as uh, he had planned. So tragic end to their existence in, in the third tier. And, uh, well, it's set to get worse. I mean, 10 points. How many matches do they have to make that up? Um, another 10, I think. Something like that. Maybe some more. Right. So um, not a brilliant time to be an Odin fan. Jasmine, uh, what is your first pick?
1: My first pick is Vituna Coon.
0: Wait.
1: Yeah. I don't really have so much history. It's really weird coming into this as like a f- newbie into Regional all well, especially in history and everything to do with that. All I do in these leagues is I look for really good players. But <laughs> apart from that, when I was looking at Fortuna Cone, it's actually quite a nice, for me, a nice story, a nice club, and I kind of fell in love while um, going over this one. So just a little bit of background that I do know and a little bit about. The club was formed in 1948, and it was basically a merger of three clubs. A a second, Victoria Cone, Bainthala SV, and Sparkassen Verdein Cone. And yep, they merged, and they've been pretty much a second division side for most of their history since built the better part of their history and it was basically all down to their chairman at the time oh, I, I'm gonna mess this up because his name was Hans Loring but at the time it was really popular to change your name to what's spelled as Jean, but in the Cologne dialect it's pronounced Sheng
2: Which You do this
0: really great <laughs>
1: And, okay, so hopefully that's not that confusing for the listeners, but I will pronounce it as Sheng, because that's how it's done. And he was the chairman of Fortuna from 1967 up until 2001, and he was a character. He absolutely loved Fortuna and he supported them financially so much that it basically put him through bankruptcy. And the club wouldn't have survived without his help. It's estimated he funded around 30 to 40 million Deutsche Mark, so around 50 to 20 million euro. And after his insolvency and stepping down, the club started tumbling down the leagues and have only recently bounced up to the third league and they went back down three years ago to Liga and our league but. They tumbled all the way down to, I think, the fifth or sixth tier. But the thing is, is how many great stories came from this one chairman, so <laughs> buckle up.
0: It's really strange this because, um, Whenever people talk to you about German football, they say, well, you know, the great thing about it is that's the 50 plus 1 rule, the fans decide. And when you go to through the history of some of these clubs, you see, hang on, there's a bloody strong man at so many of these teams who does as he pleases. And he clearly was one of them, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, he definitely was one of them. But I felt like, despite his character, he, his heart was in the right place. And if you put that much money... To bankrupt yourself is maybe weirdly he's showing his love in a really weird way. But some of his best stories as chairman, I'll try not to get through this without laughing. But so the first one, we'll start off easy and it'll go more chaotic as we go on. So he fixed a stadium light by himself against Darmstadt, no less. So the game didn't get postponed. In his later years in December 99, when his club was 2-0 down against Waldhof Mannheim, he sacked coach Tony Schumacher, the former national team goalkeeper, at halftime. Because the assistant coach also left with Schumacher, Loring himself coached the team for the rest of the game and lost 5-1. <laughs> And throughout his time um, as chairman, he actually took up that role, like the double manager role and chairman role, on five occasions. But I think the funniest story, my personal favourite, is when he was banned from the stadium for a game because he verbally attacked a referee... He decided to dress up as Santa Claus and watch the game from the stands without being identified
0: well if that doesn't get you into the Christmas spirit I don't know what will so Fortuna Köln there's certainly uh, <laughs> a lot of great history um, I mean they do have one very sore point in their club history though which is that promotion or relegation playoff against uh, Borussia Dortmund that happened back in the 85 86 season tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah, so I don't think people could either believe me saying, oh, Dortmund were about to get relegated. But they were about to get relegated in the season and face the playoff against Fortuna Köln in the second Bundesliga at that time. And in the first leg, Köln won 2-0. And in the second leg, Dortmund won 3-1. They scored in the last second. It was kind of a heartbreaker, but because there were no away goals... At this time, it went down to a replay, so a third leg, which you couldn't even imagine happening now, but before the third leg could be played, Cone had 13 sick-slash-injured players, which really is fitting for this time of year, or these last two years. So the game was postponed by a week, and even at this time after a week, they still had six players out. So enough to participate in this game. However, because they t- just came back, um, they didn't have time to train to match fitness and were basically fucked. Um, and they lost 6-0. So it was quite anticlimactic in the end. But some of the scenes going into that second leg, just partying in Cone on the streets just for that match, and they were all so up for it just to end really, really anticlimatically
0: yeah i mean that was truly probably one of the biggest wounds that any football team has ever encountered and uh, they even have a bigger one given that they've actually played in a DFB pokal final right
1: yeah so uh, one of their highlights of this time was the DFB pokal 1983 they were one of the giant killers of that year because they eliminated three first division sides in a row so Eintracht Braunschweig, Minjin Gladbach, and then Borussia Dortmund 5-0 in their semi-final match. And that put them into the final against their rivals, FC Kuhn. And this was the first time the DFB Pokal had come down to a local derby, um, which was surprising for me. But they lost that one 1-0 as well.
0: Unfortunately. Well, there you go. I, I think so far Mike has given you a little background on KFC Erdingen, and Jasmine has done some as the Well, telling you about Fortuna Köln. So now it's my time to to step up to the plate. So, so which <laughs> club should I choose, guys? I'm curious what happened to Bonaya C. Whatever happened to Bonner SC? Well, they don't really have that much of a history in the Bundesliga or Bundesliga 2. I think they've played a, you know, a season or two in the Bundesliga 2 Nord, which um, you know, was back when the Bundesliga consisted of, what was it, 40 teams, as it was divided into southern and northern division. But strangely enough, they are the biggest team from Bonn, which at that point was Germany's capital. I mean, we've had the same with Berlin clubs not being in the Bundesliga, but it's kind of strange for a country not to have a club from the capital in its elite division. So, Bonn never got there, but hey, they did have a guy by the name of Hans Viol, who was a Zimbabwean marble trader who got to Bonn, made his uh, money in marbles before that there were rumors about him you know trading in weapons and such in in africa he had at least accumulated a decent amount of wealth through whatever sort of dealings he had going on at the time was if it was stones or weapons it wasn't too important to to the good people at bon they made him president and uh, he was head of the board for a few years in the 90s and i think until 2011 and he had A lot of strange ideas. And the strangest one was actually... Got to him in 1999. When he tried to sign the entire Cuban national team. He flew to Cuba. Negotiated with the Cuban national team. He wanted to get them over to Bonn. And just, you know... Get through the Oberliga into the Regionalliga. And, you know... Hey, presto. Bundesliga 2. Here we come with a bunch of Cuban national team players. Didn't work out as, uh, as that deal... Was called out because, you know, a lot of people thought, well, this is actually kind of (laughs) almost a slave trade. Putting these guys Mm. on low wages, making them play football for for free only to, you know, get promoted. But he didn't see any problems with that. Hans Wiel is dead now. He died um, three years ago and at the age of 72. But um, during his life, he's said to have spent 11 million euros. On this club, to just tell us what was the biggest success of this club in in their history. Well, I would say that it wasn't anything particular that the men's team did, but they had a women's team as well that played in the Bundesliga back in, in its heydays, and they actually that Bundesliga side had a player who uh, had uh, you know an a, a astonishing accomplishment, uh, the first black woman to ever score the goal of the month in Germany. Played for Bonner SC. Uh, her name was Beverly Ranger, and uh, well, uh, that goal was scored more than fifty years ago. I think it was well, almost fifty years ago. It was scored in 1975, and you know you see how times have changed uh, when you <laughs> listen to how she was introduced on German television. The uh, moderator of the show where she was uh, given the award for the goal of the month uh, his name was Ernst Huberti who I think worked for a really long time
2: uh, he's a really really famous commentary on German television
0: well uh, here's how he introduced her and I've just pulled it up and uh, here's what he said quote beautiful and coffee brown are all the women from Kingston town and here's, here's the living evidence for that step onto the stage Beverly Granger which, you know, if you would do it on, on German television today or in any sort of European country, you, you probably would get a couple of comments on Twitter, I, I would believe. But yeah, that, that is pretty much the biggest success, I would say, uh, that the women's team actually played in the Bundesliga for a while and that they had the first black women's goal, the goal of the month in Germany. That was all the way back in 1975. And um, additionally, you could also highlight the fact that the youth work of, of that club hasn't been too bad at times, and uh, you know they've even, I think they even played in some divisions. They even played in the Bundesliga for for youth teams, so um not that bad a side. But um hey, right now they are really struggling at the bottom of the table in the Regionalliga West, and given that they are sort of trying to build up slowly after Hans Vio left, and with him leaving, there was suddenly I think a gaping hole of 6 million euros in their finances. That's probably where they're going to be stuck for, for quite some time. Bonner Seder that is a team that has certainly an illustrious history and is well worth a visit if you are going to Germany. Right. I think the last team for for this episode is going to be alemannia Aachen. And that's once again you, Mike. What can you tell me about them? Yeah, it seems that every
2: club we're talking about is at the bottom of the table at the moment because uh, Alemannia Aachen, I told you, Erding is trailing by 10 points, uh, so Aachen uh, has this place they are reaching for, uh, it's place 15 in the table, and it's owned by Alemannia Aachen at the moment, so they are not that famous for their titles, in fact, they didn't won anything, but they got to the DFB-Pokal final in 2004 as a team from the second Bundesliga, and after beating three teams from the Bundesliga, Bayern 1860 and Mönchengladbach, I think we heard similar things from Fortuna Köln in the previous part, and even though they lost to Werder at the, in that year, they were qualified for the UEFA Cup because Werder were champion, and at the that time, back then, the runner-up got into Europe, which is not the case anymore. So now you need to win that cup. They managed to beat Hafnarjördur from Iceland. And they got into the new group stage, new at that time. And they even managed to get into the first knockout round when they lost against Alkmaar. But of course, they earned some money in those years. And so they got back to the Bundesliga after 36 years in 2006. And there you see the curse of success, because they decided to build a new stadium. It was the year of the World Cup in Germany, if you remember, and this stadium was far too expensive for them, and uh, at least given the fact that you don't play in the first league forever, and they didn't do that, the old stadium was called Tivoli. It was a really fantastic old ground and definitely one of the reasons for their cup success. And the new Tivoli, it was located right next to the old one. Uh, It's quite nice, but far too big with 32,000 people. And of course, far too expensive. So like Oettingen, they went bankrupt even twice. And they do still struggle, as you can see. Yeah, and it, it's it's really a really sad story because their old ground was so great, and uh, I, I think they they were really popular at that time, and there might have been some some real great success story if they would have stuck to where they are coming from, and um, with the new stadium, everything went wrong. But to bring in even more gossip, there's a story on an Australian international. He's called Marco Rudan known as the suitcase affair, because he was signed by Aachen in 2000. Some guys claimed a transfer fee of 290,000 Euro from his former club Northern Spirit in Australia. And this transfer fee was given to them in a suitcase at the airport, but the, the, the club did not request or receive a transfer fee at all. So this was just a very, very creative fraud. By, well, let's say, whoever, because Rudin was um, not judged for it in the end, so I think the remainings of this money is still unclear.
0: <laughs> Excellent. So I think the highest that ever finished in the table was second back in uh, 1967. but other than that, they've been uh, pinging around the divisions, and uh, yeah, great history. Uh, have you actually been to both of the Tivolis, or just the new one?
2: Now we have been to both. I think if I'm not totally wrong, St. Pauli was one of the last teams to win there because we got promoted in that year and uh, we were also the first team to play there at all in the new Tivoli and we won 5-0. So this was uh, the start of something really special. Because ah no sorry we we I think we managed to stay in the league in the old Tivoli and then we won that game in the new Tivoli and in that year we got promoted if I'm not totally wrong but yes both stadiums of course
0: but you prefer the old one I take it.
2: Yeah, well it's it's like preferring the old Milan tour against the new one. Of course you do have these romantic feelings and so on, but you don't want to stand in those old toilet houses and so on. So you you like the new uh, things, but of course
0: sentimental reasons are with the old grounds. Yes, indeed. Well, I think this is it for part one of our look at great sites to visit in the Regionalliga vest. I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back two weeks from now talking about the other four. So stay tuned for that. Uh, guys, it's been absolute delight having both of you on. Mike, tell our listeners where they can find your work on the Bundesliga 2. Yeah, it's Mike Krue on Twitter or you just follow the Milan-Torn. You definitely should. Uh, Jasmine, you still got a very big gig going on right now, right?
1: Yes, I may be writing for The Athletic, as you pointed out. Um, So, yeah, you can catch my stuff there, or you can follow me on Twitter, which is at underscore Jasmine
0: Barber. There you go. Well, you can follow the podcast at Talking Foosball. You can follow me, Nick Viltaggen, at Norm Musings. And, you know, make sure to... uh, sign up to our Patreon page where you can get loads and loads and loads of extra content for as little as $3 per month. This episode has as always been produced by Aiden Ryan Tool. Next up on this feed are the Fantasy Boys who are going to tell you what you should do if you've signed Max Kruse after his first game with Wolfsburg and were disappointed by the returns it yielded. So stay tuned for that.